What's doing, everybody? Today is Thursday, February 1st, and I've got three amazing guests to bring you guys today. Darren Beatty, Jason Whitlock, and Professor Bruce Fleming of the Naval Academy, all joining me on the podcast today. So buckle up. I got a banger coming your way. I'm Alec Lace. This is The Alec Lace Show. The American family is under attack. Parents are the underdog of this nation. Your children are being indoctrinated. That's right. Your children. They do not belong to the state. They do not belong to the school system. They belong to you, the parents, as a blessing from God our Father. So let's preserve, protect, and fight for the American family together. You're listening to The Alec Lay Show. The future is family. Welcome, everybody, to the Alec Lay Show. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for tuning in. If you're watching the broadcast live here on Rumble, you know what to do. Get down there, hit the like button, get involved in the comments section or the live chat, and don't forget, follow the channel here. I have got just a stacked program to bring you guys today. Three amazing guests. We got Darren Beatty, Jason Whitlock, and Professor Bruce Fleming of the Naval Academy all joining me on the podcast today, so sit tight here. And I wanted to just really quick start out with a program note. If you're following the channel here on Rumble, you're going to notice that I created a new channel, and that is First Class Fatherhood. I am going to start importing and bringing over my episodes from First Class Fatherhood. For those of you who don't know, and you're just watching this for the Alec Lay Show here on Rumble, First Class Fatherhood is a podcast I've been doing for almost six years now. I've interviewed over 750 dads on that podcast, everybody from uh, Tom Brady and Deion Sanders to Tony Hawk, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, and many, many different conservative dads. A lot of political dads, including Eric Trump, Ron DeSantis, uh, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio. Really, the list goes on and on. So I'm I'm starting to bring some of the episodes over here. Uh, I started it out with my interview from last year with Vivek Ramaswamy, just to put one up there. But I'm going to start giving you the live uh, episodes, the new episodes, as they're going to be coming out on Wednesdays. So every Wednesday, you'll get a new podcast on First Class Fatherhood. So follow the channel over there, First Class Fatherhood. I will be out at the Super Bowl next week, bringing you guys content from that on that channel. I usually do it every year. I interview all the dads uh, that are playing in the game and are coaching the game about fatherhood, about family life, about faith. So I think uh, you would love it. So check it out. Follow the channel, First Class Fatherhood, right here on Rumble, because I'm, I'm pretty much getting deplatformed over on YouTube. They've suspended my channel so many times, I'm like um, one step away from losing the channel permanently. So I got to start making the move over here to Free Speech Rumble with that podcast as well. All right, so just wanted to make that quick note. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of that Super Bowl stuff with Jason Whitlock today. First up, though, we we know that the woke culture has killed everything, right? The the comedy scene, it's destroyed movies and TV. If you listen to the interview I did with my friend and Navy SEAL Bill Brown, the woke culture has now gotten into the law firms, the major law firms in this company. We know the DIE hiring is out of control. We're seeing it at the air, with airplanes. We're seeing it just in every facet of our society where now it's the exact opposite, where you are not being judged on the content of your character. You're being judged on the color of your skin. And that's, the, that's where we're at in this country right now. And we're also now, unfortunately, we are seeing it in our military academies. And that is frightening. Now, you heard I, I had um, Congressman... Mike Waltz on the podcast here on Tuesday. He's the first Green Beret to ever serve in Congress. He backed that up by saying the recruitment levels are all low in all of these things, except for the Marines. The Marines have not deviated. The Marines are still kick-ass, and they have not lowered their standards whatsoever, which is, thank God they haven't done that. 
Uh, so these other military academies, though, particularly the Naval Academy. Now, the, the Navy has had their lowest recruitment. They are lowering the standards to help boost their recruitment levels, which are the lowest since the Vietnam War. Professor Bruce Fleming has been teaching at the Naval Academy for 30 years, and he is really sounding the whistle or blowing the whistle and shouting from the rooftop about this. He's going to explain it to you, but how this woke culture that we've seen throughout every other facet of our society has just completely destroyed the U.S. Naval Academy down there in Annapolis. So he was fired. Uh, for speaking out against what's going on, the waste of money, the 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 woke culture that's come in, these let's face it, Democrat ideology that's gotten into the Naval Academy. So he sounded the alarm on this. They fired him for it. They had to rehire him. So he's back there. He's still teaching at the Naval Academy. He's got a book out. We're going to get into the new book. I got the link to his book down there in the description below. And um, let's face it. Let me give you the title of the book. It is Saving Our Service Academies, My Battle With and for the U.S. Naval Academy to make thinking officers. Okay, Professor Bruce Fleming is going to be first up here. Don't forget, right after my interview uh, with Professor Fleming, I'm going to be joined here by Jason Whitlock. And then after Jason Whitlock, I'm going to close out the show with Darren Beatty. All right, so make sure you stay tuned and lock it in for all that. Right now, we are going to bring on Professor Bruce Fleming. Okay. All right. All right, joining me now, Professor Bruce Fleming. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. Thank you very much. Love being here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Right now, uh, it's a very scary time, I think, for all of the military. Right, We see the lowest recruitment rate uh, that we've had since the Vietnam War. And so that's one piece of it. But I know you come into this here with what's going on in our service academies. We've seen this wokeness kind of infiltrate all aspects of our life. But you've got the book now, Saving Our Service Academies, My Battle With and For the U.S. Naval Academy to Make Thinking Officers. What's going on at the Naval Academy, Professor? Well, it's unfortunately what's not going on. What's not going on is producing future officers who are uh, enthusiastic about the military. So uh, short version is that I've been there since 1987. Uh, and uh, in that time, I would say three waves of we used to call it political correctness, have hit. The first, uh, none of which has been dealt with adequately. Uh, I mean, just Let me just circle back for, for one second. The service academies, a lot of people, they misunderstand them because they're kind of set in you know 1946 as a mindset. But the service academies nowadays are nothing like what people think they are at all. In fact, I call them the vanity projects of the military brass. They produce fewer than one in five officers. That's not the way it was uh, through the 50s and 60s. And then what happened was that ROTC took off. So you can go to Ohio State or wherever, uh, a lot of big name private schools as well, and be a ROTC student or and end up at the same place as a, as a Naval Academy graduate or a West Point graduate. Um, you can also just uh, do college on your own and go to what's called OCS, Officer Candidate School, which is uh, not even a full summer uh, and end up in exactly the same spot. So uh, the point is that they've they've diminished in uh, importance to uh, the services and they've they're hugely expensive to taxpayers. I'm a taxpayer. I'm very conscious of our national debt uh, and they cost about two point four billion dollars a year which is not as much as an aircraft carrier, but aircraft carriers stay around for longer. Um, 
and uh, which is about four times what a ROTC officer costs and eight eight times what an OCS officer costs. So uh, they're 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 kind of running on. Well, I say they're running on fumes. They're largely in Texas terms. They're all hat and no cattle. So that's the kind of the big picture background. And what's happened is uh, you have to understand that what I'm saying is that we don't frankly really need them anymore. They're fun. That we have a great football game. Uh, we could have the football game without the recruiting because that's one of the problems. So. Um, Women, of course, were introduced in 1976, uh, used to be all male, uh, against the wishes of the services, but that's what Congress decreed. And uh, women were not dealt with well uh, initially, and uh, in fact, they were treated like dirt. But now the pendulum has swung to the opposite direction. So uh, the uh, all, all that has to happen is, a, is this under congressional pressure during the Obama years, uh, so, so-called Title IX, which we used to think was girls' sports was used to assume that if a girl says if a guy even months later after what the guy may have thought was consensual sex that no she she wasn't really all that on board with it she's encouraged to accuse him of sexual assault so that hit us hard um the the racial profiling has hit us hard i was on the admissions board and i just i couldn't get over the fact started writing about the the service academies uh, because I was on the admissions board and I just couldn't believe what we were doing. I think it was illegal then. Um, in fact, I wrote so many things that the Naval Academy started punishing me for doing that. And they fired me in 2018. I was reinstated in 2019. Um, so I'm there, uh, technically still there. I'm not guaranteeing that's going to last. I think they're going to try again. So uh, stay tuned for that. But anyway, we give... Um, it's not the best and the brightest. We have about half the class we give to uh, kids that are markedly under par because they've checked a box saying they're not white. And either we just let them in under par, in other words, exactly what the Supreme Court said you couldn't do under the Grutter decision, namely run two, two uh, columns, two, two different ways of letting people in. It's exactly what we were doing. Um, so you either let in the non-white kids to much lower standards, or we all, all the service academies have a prep school. So, and we can send them to the prep school with no floor whatsoever. I mean, there are kids there with, you know, that would not be able to get into their state university. So, uh, that's one thing that's hit us is the, the pressure for, uh, non-whites, uh, the pressure for, uh, to assume that the, the guy is always wrong. You got to understand that uh, no no sex is permitted at Annapolis or West Point or Colorado Springs uh, or Coast Guard because they're all military installations. And by sex, I mean hand-holding on up. Of course, they, they're, they're at it in, the, in their common dormitory, as you'd expect with 40% women and now out gays. Uh, but it's always punished. Um, and it, 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 it's a mess. So the, the, the pressure from Congress is to get reports of, of uh, sexual assault. And so they, the guys feel uh, haunted, frankly. Um, and they're all aware of this uh, racial uh, problem. And that's come back now with the DEI stuff uh, that's been imposed on us. It's, it's uh, hiring is uh, everybody has to submit a DEI I assume everybody knows what we're talking about, the so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is laughable because it's not about diversity. They don't want people who think differently. I'm a person who thinks differently. And, you know, they've taken me down or tried to take me down. It's not equity because we're not, uh, it's not based on merit. Uh, it's based on 
what in the 60s. I mean, I'm, I was born in 1954, so I lived through the civil rights era, you know, right on Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, skin color doesn't matter. So I wake up in, uh, you know, the mid 90s and all of a sudden skin color is the only thing that matters. So it's not equity and it's not inclusion because we have a limited number of slots. Um, you know, if you, you, you letting in somebody because he or she checks a box saying that his skin color is so-and-so non-white uh, means that some other kid, you know, who maybe dreamed of coming to the service academies from Wichita or Dubuque or wherever is not going to get in. It's a zero sum thing. So the, the kids at Annapolis, the, they're called midshipmen. That's gender neutral, by the way. He, there's no such thing as a midship woman. Uh, and cadets at West Point, they know these things are going on and they're totally bummed. So that's what's going on at the service academies. But of course, they graduate and they talk to me. So I've been there. This is now year 36. So I have a lot of former students that I'm still in contact with. And the problem is it's not just the service academies, which to be blunt, could be closed down tomorrow with no detriment to to uh, our, our defense. I mean, in fact, sometimes I, I feel that they ought they ought to be. What I've actually suggested is that we do with them what the British did with Sandhurst, which is which was their military academy, uh, which was to turn it into a kind of a, a postgraduate. You go to college wherever, sell your wild oats, you know, go wild and crazy, drink too much, whatever, and then settle down and say you're going to be in the military. I mean, they're adult to begin with, uh, and they would come for uh, less than a year, five, six, seven, eight months, maybe uh, militarization. You know, this is okay. Welcome to the military. Now, this is what we do. So we can use the buildings. Annapolis wouldn't be bombed. Uh, Annapolis loves the Naval Academy because it puts on parades and there's the football game and stuff. So I have a solution to it. They're they're just not. They're, 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 there's no point to them. But the real problem is uh, that this stuff is coming from the same people who control the fleet. So yes, your point earlier is an extremely good one. It's the problem with the military now. Uh, by now, I think everybody's aware that uh, of our recruiting problems, about 25% deficit in the major services. Uh, Marine Corps still does pretty well because the Marine Corps is uh, only 9% women. And I don't want to get too off track here, but they, they have standards in the, in, in the Marine Corps. Uh, and of course, we have this fifth thing, this Space Force, uh, which is minuscule. So uh, yeah, they're meeting their recruiting goals. But the big ones are not. Uh, part of that, I mean, you got to be fair. I'm a professor. You try to look on both sides and so on. It, part of the reason of that is for that is our low employment, unemployment rate. So they, they don't have to join the military. Um, so they don't. Of course, we have no draft. And that's introducing a draft is not something anybody talks about. Uh, some kind of hardliners, they, sometimes they'll say, uh, they'll point out the fact that there's few, less than 1% of Americans are in uniform, whereas, of course, after World War II, which was a, you know, mass mobilization with draft and so on, uh, it was, you know, huge. It was a huge percentage, and now it's it's vestigial. So you got unemployment, you got the wacky nature of our, uh, you know, I also do military theory along uh, with um, an English professor, of all things, but um, I can tell you how that relates to the military. It's it's the, the the subtitle of my book. It makes thinking officers right. If you are presented with things that you're not comfortable with, you have to. You're in Afghanistan, which is not something you're comfortable with. You know how do you deal with it? So not well is the answer that we saw. So we need we do need more thinking officers. Um, 
but so there are reasons for 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 the inability of the services to meet their meet their goals that are unrelated to what we're calling woke but i think woke is a huge is a huge factor here because uh, you know you look at the recruiting materials um they're all about finding yourself you have um you know i think you know women are great i'm married to a woman my mother's a woman my daughter's a woman women are going to be in the military wax waves all that kind of great stuff should women be seals that's the next question i mean you know the the barriers have fallen so i was driving into philadelphia recently and uh, of course i'm uh, really live outside of Annapolis, but driving to Philadelphia, this huge recruiting poster for the Marines. And it's, it's a woman in full combat gear. And, uh, you know, it was all about finding her place in the Marine Corps and okay. Then the question becomes, okay, that's great, but can you carry a 210 pound wounded man? Um, so we have problems. I mean, people, it's, it's not, we still go to the movies, you know, Tom Cruise, rah, rah, rah. Uh, SEAL movies, obviously, we just lost, lost two, which makes my heart shrivel because our, this is the Naval Academy. So SEALs are Navy. And I've taught countless, not countless, but dozens of SEALs and EOD, which is the bomb disposal guys, uh, like in the Hurt Locker, if you saw that. Uh, and uh, and combat Marines, about 25% of our students now go into the Marine Corps. Some people don't know that the Marine Corps is... Uh, under the jurisdiction of the Department of the Navy. So uh, these guys, you know, they shoot and they die. Um, I don't like it when they die. So, yeah, we got problems. I mean, it's not it's not your father's military. It's not even the military of 20 years ago. That's what I've seen change. Yeah, and Professor, I mean, to your point there, you know, I did an interview with Jocko Willink a few years back when they when they changed the ethos for the Navy SEALs to be gender neutral. So they took out where it would say man and made it a person like they made the whole and there's never been a female Navy SEAL. And I, 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 I would hope that they never have one because they lowered the standard. I mean, uh, you know, if they get one down the line because she was able to do it, then obviously that would be a good thing. But I mean, I would never want to see that happen because of the lower standards, which I know the Navy is doing now to get the recruitment levels up. They're lowering the standards. But what you're saying, I mean, uh, if you're a parent that's listening to what you're saying and and you have like I have a senior in high school now and we're looking at these college options and it's just frightening because the college system in this country sucks. There's no other way around. I mean, uh, and you know what? I, I've driven a ton of Uber in my life and a lot of college kids because uh, we have local colleges where I live. And and just listening and what I see on Friday, Saturday night, weekday nights, I'm looking at this like there's people paying 40000 a year for this. Like, and it's it just seems like all it is about, it sounds like the exact same culture of what's going on at the military academies. And so if you're a parent that's getting ready to send your kid out the door uh, thinking they're going to this prestigious military academy, what you're saying is very frightening. Well, it ought to be frightening. And frankly, my my personal uh, my personal suggestion is that uh, probably if your kid is, you know, a, an athletic, smart white boy, his chances are very slim of, of getting in because so many of the other uh slots are are kind of i used to call them set asides i uh needless to say it it drove the the, the navy brass crazy and that's when they started started uh, piling on the punishments but uh yeah i i would not have and then there's something else that's that uh, parents have to hear the students are very unhappy they're extremely unhappy they sit in the big red chair in my office and just spill their guts 
And, you know, they came for duty on our country and they thought it was, you know, like 1965 or whatever. And gradually they realized that it's not. I call it, they, we call our freshmen plebes. And they come for, for a kind of a mini boot camp, which itself has been watered down, Frank, uh, incidentally. Um, and th then they start classes at the end of August. And by October, they figured things out. And I call it the October surprise. Uh, of, oh, no, this place is not what we thought it was. and But the pressure to stay is immense because you got to understand, once again, this is taxpayer money, so it doesn't cost the students anything. And so parents love it. They love it. And guidance counselors love it, you know, in California or wherever, Nevada. They'll say, oh, you know, so prestigious, so-and-so got into the a service academy. It, that's not it. It's that they filled a, okay, you know, we do, I don't want to undersell them. Our top 10% are really stellar. I mean, we do have student, you know, smart student athletes, and they're just as impressive as heck. But these are the guys and gals that do go SEALs or Marines or, you know, get prestigious scholarships. So it's not all gloom and doom, but they're the most unhappy of all in my experience. So no, I would say to parents, do not, you know, it's not what you think. Uh, but then to flip your your point, which is where well, where are you supposed to go, right? Um, I would say go to Ohio State, um, uh, where unfortunately a, a former superintendent of ours who was instrumental in firing me uh, is now the president. So maybe I should pick another example besides us. So, okay, so Cal State, whatever, Cal State Fresno, go go to Cal State. You can keep your nose. Here's the parents. Here's the, to answer your question here. What are you supposed to do? Right. You send them to a, a big place where they have options, where they don't have to mix with the wrong crowd, because there's going to be a wrong crowd. There's going to be a beer and party crowd. And, you know, all they do is just screw around and go to the football games. But it is possible to get a good education anywhere. So any any reputable state university will give it to you. Any small intense liberal arts college will give it to you. I mean, that depends on the kid. They want small, they want large. My younger son, for example, started at a, at a small, intense liberal arts college in Pennsylvania and transferred to Tulane because he just wanted a bigger, something bigger. And he loves it. I mean, it's serious. The classes are right. Of course, there's crazy stuff going on. Even, you know, Mardi Gras is about to happen. Of course, there's crazy stuff going on. Um, but parents, it's not, I don't want to be Mr. Gloom and Doom here. Uh, you know, if if you've raised your kid right, and, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think you probably have, and you just make it clear to them that they have to, that there are going to be a lot of temptations, there are going to be a lot of kids wasting mommy and daddy's money, uh, and they just have to focus. And But you can do it, much, but it will be without, the reason I say that rather than, than the service academies is, at the service academies, it's micro control, right? They have not moved, they moved with the times in the sense of, of you know racial admits and and the sexual assault stuff and this DEI, but the pressure the, the pot is boiling more and more vociferously, and in order to do that they have to keep the top pressed on. I mean, if you got you're not like I say, think about this: forty percent girls, and you're not allowed to hold your girlfriend's hand. So uh, it, it's crazy, it's crazy, and you know you look the wrong way. You, all these microaggressions you've heard about, where you know some non-white person or non-secure person or non-something person thinks that, you know, you look, I'm going to look, this is me looking crossways, see, right? You know, you've looked crossways at somebody and, you know, they can haul you up. So it's, it, it's, it is common to our culture, which is the unfortunate part, 
but it's actually much more intense at the service academy. So uh, you have some place to hide, and they can throw you in the brig. I mean, they can court-martial you and throw you in the brig. You're actually a member of the military. So I would not, I would not welcome that degree of control um, by people who have have the wrong motive. But like I say, they're the bright shiny objects. It's not going to get you any faster to a, an officer's commission. And this is just the officers, right? The, the services are ninety percent enlisted. You want to serve your country? Personal me, me to you. Enlist in the Marine Corps. Just do it. Just do it. So yeah, yeah. It, like I said, it, it, and, and you do you say in the book here too how the uh, the service academies are the battlegrounds of the cultural wars that we're seeing just in our country. So everything going on is reflected in these service academies. Obviously, government spending is way out of control. We could make so many cuts, almost like this guy down in Argentina. It sounds like he would say service academies afuera. You know, you'd say <laughs> let's throw them out. You know, that's and yeah. we wouldn't really miss a step according to what you're saying here. But the the, the last thing I want to say, I know you touch on this in, in your book, um, and I'll ask you why hasn't the united states won a war since world war ii well partly it's because okay again i said let me say i got to be a professor here and start with the sort of the opposite side right you got to know your enemy and it's because we did such a good job at establishing the american world order right we basically got things right after world war ii so what we have now instead of these you know the the big push against incarnate evil adolf hitler i'm talking about you um what we have are all these crazy things on the side but the problem is that that uh, w- you know we don't know where we are right i mean it, it, the world, world war ii was a european war and largely and obviously in the pacific as well but even that played by the same rules so all of a sudden we're against these ragtag groups of guerrillas who hate our guts and we don't you know we don't understand it's like george george w bush says you know they hate our freedoms they don't hate our freedoms they just hate us you know so this is where thinking officers come in you got to be nimble on your feet you got to you got to understand you got to question i mean the military's got to push back some politician says oh we're going to go into some you know third rate country uh and the military needs to say which it did in in the case of iraq colin powell's very good on this you know, I you don't want to be doing this, but it's got to continue to say that, right? The military is is the thing that has the has the know how. So we haven't won a war because, uh, you know, it's it's we don't think and we don't say, look, maybe this is not what we ought to be doing, and is this going to be worth it? So our our classic uh, our classic move is, you know, I I was traumatized like most everybody of my generation seeing the helicopters take off of the the roof of the Saigon embassy and darn if it didn't happen again in Afghanistan. It's like, what the heck? So, you know, okay, Paul, I'm not, the military doesn't control itself. Thank goodness. uh, Because we're a democracy. There are countries where the military is in complete control and that's not good. So a lot of the blame goes to politicians, but the military, you know, during Vietnam, they, they, they want, they wanted body counts and they, the, the brass want to say that we're winning because that makes them look good. But, you know, the hardened battle guys that are actually at some FOB, they can say uh, this is not looking good. And that never that never gets up the chain of command, because uh, I've, I've explained that the, the military is a series of, of bottlenecks, as in you. This guy's got to please his superior who has to please his or her superior and so on up the chain. So. Uh, it's a bunch of, 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 and of course, 
the joke is that once you become admiral to stick with the Navy, you never eat a bad meal because you're treated like royalty and you never hear the truth. And you say an outsider might say, well, what's up with that? I thought, you know, these guys and gals were the deciders. No, it means that your your adjutant, your adjutant or your your XO is going to buffer you, and there are a million buffers between you and the guys who are actually in the field and who know what's going on. So we need to have a culture again to come back to the subtitle of my book. We need to encourage a culture not of authority but of thinking, as in, look, I'm here to serve you, and we have a. It's not. Please don't try to please me. All right, and the whole military these days. We've gotten soft. I mean, it's it's become a show. So it's a show that's, you know, running off the rails that the officers need to be. We have to make it clear to them that it's not about stroking them. And that's where we are now. And Annapolis and West Point are at the forefront of that. Yeah, it, it, it's a scary, scary to hear that, too, Professor. And, you know, I, I have done a lot of interviews tons of them with SEALs, with Green Berets, or with, with a lot of yeah. combat veterans. And it's just the toll that that 20-year war took on a lot of these guys, I think is so virtually like unknown by so many Americans that don't even realize. I mean, so many of them didn't even realize we were at war while we were at war. And it was so, uh, you know, I, I love the fact, that, I mean, I, I honor our military veterans, and I know that we wouldn't stand a chance in the world here without them. But it's just, it's sad to see these times. I'm the furthest thing from a military person. Uh, and, and it's just scary to see what's happening because with without our military, we are in a lot of trouble here. And so this is some scary stuff. I'm sure that a lot of parents may be rethinking their decision. Again, the book, Saving Our Service Academies, My Battle With and For the U.S. Naval Academy to Make Thinking Officers. The link to the book is down there in the description below. Professor Bruce Fleming, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time today on The Alec Lace Show. Appreciate it. Great to talk to you. All right. Honored to have Professor Fleming on the Alec Lay Show here. Let me know what you thought about this scary stuff. Really is frightening that this stuff has just engulfed our military academies in this country. Uh, so check out his book. The link is down there in the description below. Uh, let me know what you think about it. I know right now as a father of three teenage boys, there is no way in the world I would send my kids into any of these military academies. I would not send them to the military right now. Listen, I'm not a military guy myself. I'm the farthest thing you'll ever see from it. I do honor you guys know it. I mean, I've interviewed so many different Navy SEALs, so many special forces operators. Uh, I know that I'm not uh, naive enough to know that we don't stand a chance in this world and on this planet without our military servicemen and, and women, our veterans, our active duty. So uh, utmost respect for those that wear the uniform. Uh, but I am—I would never in a million years send my kids right now in there. I, I, is there something wrong with the ideology that says pull every single American troop out of all these foreign countries, bring them home, and let's focus on just here? Like, let's mind our own business in the world, and let's just focus on this country right here, secure our borders, and let's flourish in this country. I mean, what is, is, is that some kind of, like, illogical thinking to do that? No, we're over there fighting everybody else's wars, dying. Parents are losing their kids. A gold, look at how many gold star families were just born in the last couple of weeks here. The two Navy SEALs, the three killed over in Jordan. We're, we're gaining more gold star families, and it's sickening to see it. So that stuff, it, it really is disheartening to see. Again, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, Professor Fleming giving me a few minutes of his time here. 
All right, I'm going to transition over here to Jason Whitlock. Jason Whitlock really is, you know, he blew up everywhere. Well, he's always blowing up, but he's always in a feud with somebody. And recently it was with Stephen A. Smith. The two of them had a war of words. Jason Whitlock, he critiqued uh, Stephen A. Smith's book, and Stephen A. had a big hissy fit about this thing. I mean, he had a complete and total mental breakdown over Jason Whitlock uh, talking about his book and calling him out on some of the missteps, whatever it may be. But also, Jason Whitlock, if you've been watching anything on uh, on social media, and now it even hit the news, a lot of the Republicans or conservative pundits, conservative influencers are saying that the Taylor Swift, Kelsey, uh, uh, Travis Kelsey relationship is a psyop, that this is all geared towards gaining uh, voters for Joe Biden, that the, the relationship is arranged, it's not real, and that the main purpose is to have Taylor Swift endorse Joe Biden. That's why they fixed the games and got the Kansas City Chiefs into the Super Bowl. So people have gone kind of really down the rabbit hole with the entire thing. I do think, don't get me wrong, uh, there's no doubt that the NFL is enjoying the Taylor Swift. The, the ratings have been up. They got a new demographic. There's no doubt they like it. There's no doubt that the Democrats like it because Taylor Swift is a liberal or she was been, you know, all of a sudden she came out as a liberal all of a sudden when George Soros bought her music. Uh, so she's definitely a valuable asset to the uh, to the Democratic Party. So I'm going to talk to uh, Jason about this. I know he doesn't buy into the whole PSYOP um, uh, theory. So I'm going to talk to him about that. And just, you know what, I'm going to give you guys, before I do that, before I bring him on, because we're going to discuss this, I did do on First Class Fatherhood last year, before the Super Bowl, because it was the Kelsey Bowl, I did an interview with the Kelsey's father, Ed Kelsey, and I asked him last year about Travis Kelsey and his dating scene, because he had just come out of a relationship, and so it was interesting what he had to say. Now, this is one year ago today, just about. It's about a year ago today that I did this interview with Ed Kelsey. Take a listen. How about Travis? Is he close here? Is is he somebody yeah, that wants know, to have kids? He, is he I, ready? Honestly, I thought he was. I, I thought he was. He he had a long term relationship with a just an absolutely lovely, wonderful young woman. Uh, he just isn't ready to settle down. And and unfortunately, I think I think she was. I think she got tired of waiting because uh, they they ended up apart, and it's uh it is what it is. You know, I'm not, I'm not certainly not going to advocate settle down because it's time. In fact, there was a point right after Jason got married where Travis was talking about, you know, maybe it's time I settled down. And I would, gave him a call and was talking to him about that. And I said, so what do you mean? And he went on to rattle off a lot of things of the soul, but no place in that did he mention Kayla's name. And I said, first and foremost, Kayla deserves more than that. and and if if this is someone you want to spend your life with and are ready to get married and want to settle down and start a family, that should have been the first thing out of your mouth. Not that you're old or getting older and it's time to settle down. Because also, you and I both know those things never work. We both know guys who settle down because, oh, okay, I'm 28 years old. It's time to get married and raise a family, you know? And it's I'm 32 years old and I'm paying alimony and child support and my kids are growing up without a dad. All right, so you see right there, uh, Travis not ready to settle down yet, not wanting to start a family, and now has, has it changed? Is he ready to settle down? Is he ready to start a family? I don't know. I will be out there next week. I'll have an opportunity to talk to Travis, although I'm not really sure how I would frame that. I spoke to him last year at the Super Bowl uh, about his father and that interview that I did do with his dad and about his brother being a father. Uh, so I did talk to 
um, Travis Kelsey last year. I'll see what I can come up with this year for you guys. Again, follow First Class Fatherhood. Just started the channel, launched it here on Rumble. You'll find it uh, on my page here. So follow that channel over there as well. Let's do this right now. Obviously, uh, Jason Whitlock, a legend here. Let's bring him on to the the Alec Lace Show. All right. Joining me now, the man who broke Stephen A. Smith, Jason Whitlock. Welcome to the Alec Lace Show. Alec, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I would say I'm breaking Stephen A. Smith. Not quite done yet. Yeah, well, I would say but right now it's official that having you on the show kind of destroys my chances of getting Stephen A. on the program here. But I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Uh, let me just start with this because this is the thing that's been that really been blowing up. Uh, conservative media influencers have been pushing the Taylor Swift PSYOP. Uh, and, and this is the fact that they're saying that uh, Taylor Swift has been and and, and Kel, uh, Travis Kelsey are an arranged couple in a sense. So she brings in uh, the big supporters. They're going to help her vote for Biden. He's helping to push the, the Pfizer vaccine and help Big Pharma. The NFL is cohorting with them and got them into the Super Bowl together. And the right wing media is having a lot of fun with this. It seems like I think some people are taking it, uh, you know, a little bit over the top there. Uh, what's your take on the Taylor Swift psyop uh, conspiracy theory? Well, when people start talking about you know, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl uh, because of Taylor Swift. I'm just like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. That That's a bridge way too far. Uh, you know, the Chiefs winning or losing next Sunday or 10 days from now or whatever will have no impact on her profile and her ability to swing voters or whatever. And so that's crazy. Uh, I get why people are slightly bothered by Taylor Swift, but she's pretty harmless as it relates to the election cycle. Uh, I I think that maybe the relationship isn't organic and maybe it's an opportunity for the NFL to reach out to female uh, football fans and try to develop that audience because football has been so emasculated and it's been filled with so much Marxist, Black Lives Matter, diversity, equity, inclusion messaging that traditional sports fans, Christian men, have been turned off and they want to replace us with secular women. Uh, and so th- that's what I think her real agenda is, is to try to get young women to think watching football is the coolest thing in the world uh, when Taylor Swift puts on a shirt or a jacket. Women run out and buy that shirt or jacket, and they're hoping Taylor Swift attending football games is going to make young girls say, oh, I should go to football games or I should watch football. That's the psyop. Well, there's no doubt that the NFL has uh, drastically benefited from Taylor Swift being at these games. I mean, the numbers don't lie as far as people tuning into the games. I did do uh, I, I do the Super Bowl media day every year, and I interview the players and coaches about fatherhood and stuff. And so I did an interview last year with Ed Kelsey, the Kelsey's father. And we talk, I asked him about Travis Kelsey because he had been in a relationship. He broke up. I said, what's the story with, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey got all these kids. What's up with Travis? And he said, you know, he's just not ready to settle down. He's not ready to have a family. He's not ready to do any of these things so a few months you know six eight months later all of a sudden now he's got this heavy duty relationship with taylor swift so uh i i find that kind of interesting but then again uh who knows and, and i think the honest to, the truth of this is jason is that when even you use on twitter if you just use the name taylor swift in your tweet 
it automatically brings with it tons of impressions. So people, I think, are very much taking advantage of the fact that they can use the Taylor Swift for their own benefit. They're gaining impressions. People are now getting paid on Twitter. So they're using, I think, I think that's the real, I would not say up, but that's the real thing going on with why people are pumping it so much. And they're benefiting a lot from it. I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it in terms of why there's so much social media content generated around Taylor Swift, but you're absolutely right. It's a way to promote, inflate your engagement, and which really, to me, speaks to the dangers of these social media apps and just how they can take someone like... Because, you know, she is pushing soft secularism soft feminism and and you know to have all these social media algorithms rigged up in a way that you can help her push that message and and bait people into creating content around her and and making her pervasive in all of our conversations it's pretty interesting what you're pointing to it here alec that's i hadn't thought of that one yeah, I, I mean, I, listen, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself because if you put it like I, I've done it before, I've used it. I know that if Taylor Swift was a uh, Trump supporter or a, a MAGA voter, I know that the play would be totally killed online. I mean, we wouldn't be seeing any of this stuff that we're seeing with her. But uh, and, and then just keeping with this, I know now that uh, Snoop Dogg all of a sudden, another one of these artists that was big with Trump in, in, before Trump ran for president. Uh, then was jumped on the bandwagon of uh, Trump derangement syndrome. Now it seems as if he's had another turn of the tide and he's back on the jump uh, Trump bandwagon here or the Trump train. What's your take on Snoop Dogg here? I'm, I'm upset that he even matters. That, that what Snoop Dogg, whether or not he's good with Trump, bad with Trump, that that fact that that's news and that people think it's significant and another indication of X, Y, or Z bothers me. But the reality is I do think Snoop and a lot of these other uh, celebrity characters, male rap celebrity characters, do indicate uh, a change in terms of that, that black men are becoming more and more comfortable admitting what they've always known. They like Donald Trump. They respect Donald Trump. They know that if they, hey, who are you going to go have a beer with, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Every black guy I've ever met would choose Donald Trump. And so we're coming out of this pretend world like that Donald Trump is some, you know, alien, some racist alien from another planet. That's always been a lie. And now people are willing to admit that. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Jason, too. And uh, it is a shame that we that, you know people do care, but they do. And, and just flipping it back here to, to, to the NFL, when you talk about how they're like basically anti-Christian uh, and they promote secularism a lot more, Black Lives Matter, the whole bit. The NFL, uh, the NBC edited uh, C.J. Stroud, who I think is a blessing uh, to a lot of young men out there because he's a, he's a Christ first guy. He's a God first guy. And uh, they edited his comments on Christ so that they could just skip that and go right to the other part. Now, one other point I want to make before I get your take on it is last year at the Super Bowl, when I was interviewing uh, the Chiefs kicker, Harrison Buckner, who is a uh, who's a who is a Catholic, a great interview. I've done several with him. Uh, He pointed out, too, he said, if you noticed that when the DeMar Hamlin thing had happened, the originally the slogan was pray for DeMar and the NFL somehow silently switched it over. 
uh, to love for DeMar became the T-shirts and all this other stuff. So they kind of they kicked the prayer part of that out, which they, they seem to always do. And then uh, and then again, now here the N- NBC edits out C.J. Stroud saying crisis first. So w- what's your read on that? You know, I think it's clear as day that uh, the NFL has bought into the World Economic Forum and ESG and diversity, equity and inclusion and uh, that the NFL and all these professional sports leagues have been taken over by the DEI crowd and the woke crowd. And, uh, you know, they're clearly leaning that direction and are uncomfortable with kids like a CJ Stroud. But I think what you're seeing from John Harbaugh opening a press conference, reading directly from the Bible uh, to Jim Harbaugh, uh, going to a March for Life rally to C.J. Stroud, they're, they're making Christians very rebellious. And and I, I think, uh, you know, to be a rebel, you know, the most rebellious thing you can be right now in America is a Christian and claim it publicly. And so I get excited when, when these guys uh, do that. Uh, and, and I expect to see more of that because I, I, I think – You'd have to be blind as a bat not to see what, how sports are being used to take us all away from God. And, you know, some of these athletes, many of these athletes call themselves Christians and they need to proclaim that uh, publicly. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I have no doubt that if C.J. Shroud showed up at, say, like a, a pro-choice a rally or march, it would be all over the place and get a lot of coverage, you know. But Harbaugh does it, and it's played down. So uh, there's definitely no doubt that the, that the NFL is anti-Christian. We saw that with the T- Tim Tebow thing and the whole bit. But they also – I wanted to get your take is they for a long time, before we've heard of this DEI, as, as much as it's being played up right now, years ago the NFL instituted this Rooney rule uh, in a sense where all coaches, they have to interview a – even if they have no intention of hiring the black coach, they have to bring in at least one black coach during the hiring process, um, which I, I – you know, I've heard several coaches speak to this. I, I think it's a ridiculous rule. I'm surprised that they still have it uh, because it's basically the entire rule says that we're not going to bring you in based on the content of your character. We're only bringing you in based on the color of your skin. And to me, it just seems ludicrous. So uh, what's your take there on the Rooney rule? It's it speaks to how the sports world doesn't understand its role in society or has abandoned its role in society because sports have been the great meritocracy, the great equalizer. And and there's no challenge that's been put in front of a black athlete in the sports world that he hasn't overcome and his talents and work ethic haven't allowed him to reach the top. Same thing should have been allowed to play out as it relates to the coaching deal. The, the, the NFL and everybody else should have said, Hey man, trust the process. Look at the curve, the arc of sports. Look at the arc of the national football league in, in terms of, because we all say like, uh, Oh, they, they wouldn't let black athletes play quarterback. And, and, the, pro- the most prominent position in football had been for up until probably the early 1980s. It was actually the running back position. O.J. Simpson was the highest paid player at the peak of his career. Walters Payton, highest paid player at the peak of his career. You go back before those guys, it was always the running back that was the most dominant player and the most prominent. And 
that position started out white and black athletes. And so we're seeing the same thing happen with quarterbacks. You know, if you let the system and you let merit dictate and decide, fairness will reign. Trying to force this is is how football and sports have allowed uh, corporate culture, which is inferior to sports culture. But they're allowing corporate culture to dictate best practices and policies for sports culture, and it's a mistake. The, the, the corporate world should be mimicking the sports world. The sports world shouldn't be mimicking the corporate world. Yeah, right, right on with that, Jason. And, and just on the flip side of it, Christian McCaffrey is the best running back arguably in the NFL right now, and he's a white guy, and he's in yeah. the Super Bowl. So if the announcers ever pointed out and said, wow, look at this, Christian McCaffrey is the first white running back to start in a Super Bowl since Larry Zonka or some, whoever the last guy was. John Riggins probably. Maybe it's John Riggins. But I'm saying it's been a long time since there's been a white running back that started in the Super Bowl, and that's a they would never be allowed to make that point. But if it's when it's the black head coaches, it's they make it a big deal. It's a black two black quarterbacks. Oh my God! Is it? But it's who cares? That's the bottom line. Is nobody really cares, and they only build it up when it's on the one side. And but I, I would just think it would be funny to hear if one of them slipped and ever said that. That would be the end of their career. <laughs> And, and it really shouldn't be because it is remarkable and interesting what Christian McCaffrey has accomplished. And he has broken stereotypes. And, and you know, I, I don't like the overemphasis of the race thing, but when appropriate, it should be referenced. And what Christian McCaffrey is doing is unique and perhaps indicates a trend uh, that that's forthcoming in the National Football League. But, yeah, no, no one can mention that. And you're now going to make me go do the homework on it. Am I right? Is John Riggins the last white running back to start? <laughs> Got to Google that one. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, mean, I know Larry Zonka. I did a good interview with Larry Zonka. What a class act that guy was. But, yeah, I don't know. And you know what? It would be funny like if they did like the documentary like, Hey, uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey's giving hope to all these white kids out there. Hey, I can play running back, too. I don't just got to be a lineman or I don't got to be the kicker. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, I can play. And I know they yeah. did the whole thing with the with – I know that that thing blew up a few months ago with the, the white team versus the black team. One of the guys said it uh, saying oh, we should have the black versus yeah, – Right, yeah, 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 saying that, right. Did you find it? Uh, I'm looking st- – Daryl Johnston was a fullback. Fullback, right, for the Cowboys. Cowboys. Uh, I'm looking through. I think it's John Riggins. I, I Craig James. Steve, did, a, did Craig James? Did you that can't just anything? you can't just Google it either, Jason, because they won't put that in the Google results. Like last white running back to start in the Super Bowl, like they ain't gonna give you that. Like if you put last black quarterback to start, you'll get the results. Uh, Matt Sui was a fullback with the Bears, right. but again, that's not that doesn't. I don't was Mike Allstad on Tampa Super Bowl team. He was a fullback though. Again. Right, uh, yeah. You might be right yeah. with Riggins. Yeah, I I, I think it may be you know, Merrill Haas. I think he was a fullback. I would have to ask Merrill. I uh, think he was a running back, though, too. I did an interview with, with Merrill Hodge, too. Uh, he was uh, another, another really good guy, great father. But we're going to have to put it in the comments down below when we fact-check this. The fact-checkers will be all over us here down in the comments. Somebody will hit us with it. I'm pretty sure it's John Riggins, and but – you know, John Riggins and Larry Zonka would both be considered fullbacks, really, 
that, you know, were the featured backs. In terms of, you know, Christian McCaffrey is a guy that makes you miss. That, right. You know, he's, he's like a Barry Sanders style yeah. running back. Right. Yes. And I, I we may have never seen what, you know, particularly in the modern era, uh, someone like Christian McCaffrey. And it, it's fascinating point. I, you gave me a topic for Super Bowl week. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll be out there again. I'm leaving Monday to go out there to interview the players. Uh, you know, and what I do, Jason, just as like I said, uh, you know, because my other show that I host is First Class Fatherhood. It all focuses on fatherhood and family life. And I and I go there and just interview these guys about their fatherhood journey, their family life and their faith journey, if they're faith based. So I do that with these guys. And I think it's important because, in my opinion, I think the number one social issue we have in the country is the fatherless crisis that we have, where so many kids grow up without that father or that father figure. Now, you have you have you take the father out of the home the heavenly father out of our society and you take law off the street so you have a fatherless lawless godless society and that trifecta there is crippling our entire country and i think if we could mend those three things i think 99 percent of the trouble in the country goes away without question but that goes against the matriarchal messaging that is being promoted and what feminists are promoting like man just isn't that important you know, all that anybody needs is money money solves all problems according to these guys and and they think <laughs> again it's, it's they think technology has replaced man and uh the world is going to get a rude awakening uh that we're not because again these guys they think they're smarter than god and they're just not and uh we're going to get we're in the process of getting that rude awakening got a lot of weak men a lot of men that have bought into the matriarchal culture and these weak men have created very hard times that we're all suffering through but i really think we're at the beginning of that suffering it's it's going to get even worse yeah unfortunately i i agree with you unless we get the i i i believe it unless we can get these families straightened out and get our families back together strengthen the nuclear family bring god back in law on the street uh, i don't think we stand a chance so uh, I, I wanted to get your take, too. Uh, obviously, it's Black Lives, uh, not Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, Black History Month begins today, too. And I know so that's going to be heavily pushed throughout the media. Social media will be hearing all about that. And I know at the Super Bowl, I think this is like the third year, maybe, that they're doing the Black National Anthem. They're going to do it uh, ahead of the National Anthem, which I think all it does is say, hey, we're different. We're, we're not all the same Americans. There's These are black Americans, and then you guys have the other national anthem. And I just, for the life of me, cannot understand why they would want to continue to sink that divide by doing something like that. They've made the argument, uh, and they've pushed it on social media and uh, all the corporate media sites, that diversity is our strength. And what had been our strength is shared values and unity. That had been... America's strength and and they've now convinced everybody that it's diversity and so uh, let's have separate national anthems let's have separate graduation ceremonies on college campuses let's divide 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 and somehow that's our strength when anybody with a brain knows it's unity and shared values anybody with a biblical worldview understands and knows that but Bandy uh, secularists have have just done a tremendous job of taking over uh, the media and you know our means of communication and how you know the public square and and you know we're all just paying the price for it.
And I, and I know we just seen too that that ex Navy guy, ex veteran, uh, he who knocked over the uh, Satan statue. Uh, they hit him with a charge of a hate crime. So we've seen all these other statues get taken down. No one's got charged with a hate crime. They've taken down former presidents. They've taken down all these statues. Nothing's happened. This guy takes down a statue of Satan, and it's a hate crime. And, and they're hitting this guy with a charge. So it just shows you how much it's like. You you want to go against Satan, you're going to pay the price. It it just think. The Bible commands us to hate evil. I mean, it really does. And, and what they're pretending like, we should not hate. And, and, but we are commanded in the Bible to hate evil. And so that's just how upside down the world has become, that you can't even hate the devil. Uh, or that's some kind of special crime that we will put you in prison for, you know, Man, they've turned Sunday into Tuesday and Tuesday into Friday and light into darkness and darkness into light. It's crazy. It, it is crazy. And the last thing I want to get a comment from you here on, Jason, was uh, you, James O'Keefe busted this story open yesterday, uh, went undercover with the disguise, and, you know, had the had the glasses, the whole bit. But he got this White House official. One of the things that he that he came out with was saying that they want to replace Kamala Harris on the ticket, but they're afraid of how, the, how that would look. The first black uh, uh, vice president. Or, and now they're going to take her off the ticket. So they're kind of in a position where they're stuck with her here. Even I mean, she's someone that used to listen to Snoop Dogg back in kindergarten. I remember, too. But uh, so now they're in that position where it's like oh, they feel like they want to get rid of her, but they can't move forward with her. And I thought that was pretty interesting to hear. I think we kind of all had a feeling that she was not really well liked. But now it seems like uh, we were all right about that. Peter Principal, you know, someone promoted well beyond their level of competence. And and that's what diversity, equity, inclusion uh, does. And, and now they're stuck because of their mindset that they can't based off merit, like, Hey, not good enough. Let's move on. They can't do it because they're playing some optics game along racial lines. And so the entire country suffers. I mean, could you imagine that? You you know, you have the wrong vice president, you know, she's incompetent, but because of optics and because of your mindset, no, you can't have someone qualified as vice president particularly with an 80-year-old president, you're putting the entire country at risk for optics and and for, you know, inclusivity or or whatever. Uh, Inclusion is the real insurrection. And and that's how we have someone like Ilhan Omar, who says, basically, I'm Somalia first. Uh, We're putting up with that on the pretense of inclusion. And, and so we're letting people that hate America and or are not qualified for these very prominent influential positions, all based off of inclusion. That's the real insurrection. I would argue, too, Karine uh, uh, Jean-Pierre is another one. I think they would rather get out of that position because she's absolutely terrible. But she's a, a black lesbian woman. And so she's got, you know, the trifecta there. She's got the triple. So there's no way in the world, even if they wanted to, could get rid of her, even though she's absolutely terrible. And she's stumbling, mumbling and bumbling, kind of just like Biden. I think maybe he's rubbing off on her, but she didn't seem too sharp to begin with. Not a great hire. Hired for the wrong reasons. And... uh it, it just it just doesn't work. And so I, I, I just hope people are looking around at the chaos that this whole mindset has created 
and and all the confusion that is created. And, and we know that God is not the author of confusion. The devil is. And so all of this confusion, people don't know what gender they are, what they identify as. And, you know, we need drag queens uh, teaching our kids how to read and all this. It, it, it's all satanic. And and people have to repent and recognize and move back into reality. Uh and, 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 you know, you can have theories. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so a lot of this stuff sounds real good, but it is destroying us. So sometimes it doesn't even seem realistic that we're actually having these conversations, but we are. Give me, uh, get out of here. Give me your, uh, give me your Super Bowl pick. What's the score? Who takes it? Come on. Give me the MVP too. Uh, I, I cannot, uh, give an objective pick. I lived and worked in Kansas City. For 16 years, my mother lived there 10 years before I did. And so I'm a Chiefs homer, and I picked against the Chiefs last week against Baltimore, and I paid the price for that. The Chiefs will win. And <laughs> this, I'm going to call Travis Kelsey the MVP. Uh, I'm gonna, oh, that'll crush everybody. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, last week he was the MVP. The guy caught 11 passes, all 11 <laughs> of them thrown to him. So I'm going to call Travis Cousin, but it'll probably be Patrick Mahomes. But I'm picking the Chiefs just because I got burned so bad last week. I thought Baltimore was going to kill us. Man, Chiefs win and Travis takes the MVP. That conspiracy theory ain't going to die. Uh, ain't going to die hard yeah. on that one. But all right, Jason Whitlock, I'd love to have you on again down the line. It's been an honor to have you here. Thanks for giving me a few minutes of your time here on the Alec Lay Show. Thank you, Alec. Appreciate it. All right, honored to have Jason Whitlock, fearless with Jason Whitlock. If you're not a listener of it, you should be. The link to it is down there in the description below. Uh, Jason Whitlock is fearless, and I always respect his take on a multitude of different uh, issues. Uh, I really appreciate him giving me a few minutes of his time. What did you think about the interview? Hit me in the live chat down there. Leave a comment and uh, let me know what you thought about it. I'm grateful. Again, I get all these guests because of you, the listener, you, the watcher, your suggestions, your help. And one of these is that my next guest here, uh, which is a big honor to have, and we're going to close it out with, is Darren Beatty. Now, Darren Beatty, if you missed out on the big debate that happened here on Rumble uh, with Alex Jones, and um, it, with, they had Glenn Greenwald, and they had Darren Beatty on their side. They were, talk, they were debating January 6th and whether or not it was an insurrection. Now, things kind of got you know a little crazy on there. Anytime you have Alex Jones, uh, it's going to get a little wild, but they were debating against the... the Crastines or whatever their name is, the two brothers that are on X. If, you, if you're on X, you know who they are. Uh, and some other left-wing lunatic. And they were debating about January 6th. Nobody has been on top of the January 6th nonsense than Darren Beatty. So uh, it, it's an honor to get him onto the podcast today. Now, he broke this story yesterday. And I want to put this up on the board before I bring him onto the show. Because uh, this was pretty important. And I'll put it on for you guys uh, so you can read along with me if you want. But this was what he had to say. The plot thickens. Damning new details emerge in January 6th pipe bomb cover-up. Before learning of the information in this piece, we would have said the chance of January 6th pipe bombs being a hoax and a cover-up were 99%, leaving 1% chance that some bizarre, exotic, and plausible and innocent explanation could be given for the anomalies uh, were covered. Now we are in a position to rule out that remaining 1%. The January 6th pipe bombs are 100% a hoax and 100% a cover-up. What's more, we know who is covering it up. Stay tuned. When this fully blows up, it will be the biggest story in the country, 
and the biggest scandal in recent American history. All right, so uh, let's do it. Let's bring on Darren Beatty right now. We're going to talk January 6th and more than that. So here we go. All right, joining me now, Darren Beatty. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, first off, I thought you crushed it on that January 6th debate. Uh, I think you kind of stole the debate there. I know you didn't get as much, uh, you know, audio time as I, I, many people would have liked. But when you did get a chance to speak, I thought you crushed it. And you've been all over this January 6th thing right from the dribble. And now, obviously, you came out with this big thing about the, the January 6th pipe bomb. And you put out the video, I don't know, 15 minute worth of video of the whole pipe bomb there. And now you put out the tweet yesterday. I read it right before I brought you on here that you were 99 percent sure that the uh, pipe bomb was a cover up. Now you're 100 percent sure. So what removed that one percent for you? Well, there's a whole storied history with our reporting here. We've been on this pipe bomb case for almost three years now, actually building it piece by piece, piece by damning piece. And now it's culminated to the point where the story is in escape velocity and the regime has shifted from a suppression mode to a damage control mode. And for those following the latest developments, there is that seven minute clip showing the discovery of the bomb outside of the DNC complex, the Democratic National Committee complex. And uh, this took the Internet by storm. This is really what gave us escape velocity. I did, you know, Tucker and a bunch of other things. And long story short, just from the video itself, there were some pretty glaring anomalies. Um, there is an individual we now know to be plainclothes Capitol Police officer informing the Secret Service detail. Secret Service was there protecting Kamala Harris, incidentally, informing the Secret Service detail of the presence of an explosive device within mere feet of where they were standing. And the reaction was nothing. In fact, it took the Secret Service over a minute to even bother getting out of their vehicles. At which point they stood around in the most lackadaisical fashion imaginable for over two minutes. And then probably the, the, the most flagrant aspect of the video was they actually allowed a group of school children to walk across the street in the direction of the bomb and walk right within feet of it. So they're not concerned for their own safety. They're not concerned for the safety of the vice president-elect of the United States, Kamala Harris, whom they're charged with protecting. They're not concerned with the safety of passersby, including this group of school children. They clearly know that the bomb is inert. They clearly know that the bomb is fake. How do they know that is the question. And the And of course, that's like the most glaring thing from the video itself. But then when positioned in the broader context of the pipe bomb story that we've been reporting on, there's so many timing elements that are infinitesimally improbable. So just the fact that there were two of these bombs, one found near the RNC, one found near the DNC, they had been sitting undiscovered for between 16 and 17 hours. And the one at the DNC was undiscovered even by the Secret Service. The same Secret Service that acted in such a nonchalant fashion after being informed of its presence, they managed to miss this bomb that was placed fairly conspicuously in their sweep prior to Kamala Harris's entry into the building. So these two buildings, these two bombs were sitting undiscovered for 16, 17 hours. The first bomb was discovered at 1240 p.m. And in, uh, behind a trash can in a back alley near the RNC at the Capitol Hill Club. 
That was reported. The Capitol Police started responding to that at 1250. That's three minutes before the initial and decisive breach on the West Perimeter of the Capitol, which those who have studied our work know that's the peace monument breach in which Ray Epps was involved. So and, and then 15 minutes later, this DNC one is discovered. So what are the chances that these two bombs are sitting there undiscovered for 16, 17 hours, and then they both both independently, coincidentally, happened to be discovered within a 15-minute time frame that perfectly coincided with the unfolding attack on the Capitol. So the, there, there are timing elements that don't make any sense. So this was all sort of where we were a couple of days ago. The latest development, though, is that Congressman Massey and some of his staff and some judiciary staff met with Capitol Police officials to discuss this matter, in particular the video. And one of the individuals, at least one of the individuals present in this meeting was somebody who was there on that day on scene when the DNC bomb was discovered. And so there was an opportunity to get, you know, directly from the horse's mouth, as it were. Um, is there some kind of innocent explanation for this fact pattern that I just hadn't thought of? Maybe some weird, exotic thing that's just kind of a fluke. And yet when they describe it, you're like, oh, you know, I, I never thought of that. But that actually does kind of make sense. It's OK. That was the one percent I was holding out. The answers that they gave emphatically ruled out that one percent so first of all they're asked why is the secret service so indifferent to these bombs how do you explain that their answer they didn't want to cause panic now that's simply unbelievable like look i i worked at the white house i dealt with the secret service uh extensively um that is simply not a believable answer that they're informed of a bomb within feet of themselves and they're charged with protecting the vice president and they allow a group of children to walk right by it because they don't want to cause panic. What about the panic of the bomb going up and blowing up these kids or themselves or the vice president elect? What about the panic there? It's a total violation of protocol. And the fact that they didn't even bother to come up with a better cover answer is kind of insulting, frankly. So they said, we didn't want to cause a panic, that's why. And then the second question um, was more general that pertains to the circumstances surrounding the discovery of the DNC bomb. Because again, the timing is the smoking gun here. The timing is, is coincidental to the point of not being believable. What are the chances? that this DNC bomb sits out here undiscovered for over 17 hours. Very high foot traffic morning, the morning of January 6th. Nobody sees it. Nobody sitting on the bench sees it. No motorists see it. The regularly stationed security guard at the DNC that we prove is there in an earlier report didn't see it. And then, you know, the coup de grace, the Secret Service of the United States, which is on record as having swept the area, they managed to miss that too. But magically, within 15 minutes of this first bomb being discovered under equally, if not more implausible circumstances, within 15 minutes, they just happened to stumble on that. So, so how does this happen? How did this happen? They said, well, you know, we, we, were on, we were on scene when the first bomb was discovered and we figured, you know, we'd just go over the DNC and maybe there'd be something. First of all, 
we're beyond Sherlock Holmes here into Nostradamus territory. Just to like let it sink in how implausible that is. First of all, the whole DNC RNC pipe bomb parallelism is a retroactive fiction. The first pipe bomb was discovered in a back alley by the Capitol Hill Club, which, yes, is adjacent to the RNC. But there's no reason that upon discovering that you're going to immediately associate it with the RNC. There are a bunch of other buildings nearby. There's no reason you associate with the RNC. And still more, you're not going to say, oh, there was a bomb discovered kind of close to the RNC. And, you know, therefore, let's go check the DNC building. Like, that's, that's just not a believable fact pattern. And yet that's what they say. So the the first one was discovered and then they decided, oh, well, mosey on over the DNC. And they happened to find this bomb that had been undiscovered for 17 hours, 15 minutes after this first one was found. And then magically they knew after discovering the second bomb that there would be no third because they didn't look for a third. Give me a break. So so these were the two basic questions. That I was holding out, you know, because I, I, you have to keep an open mind in these things. You have to be open to all possibilities. I had been working on this for so long that I was up to like 99%. This is a operation and it's a cover up. Two separate things. It's an op and a cover up of the up. But maybe there's a 1% chance. We haven't heard it from them yet. Maybe, maybe there's some powerful explanation that uh, managed to escape my imagination. Not the case clear cover up 100% cover up and therefore this is going to be this is one of the bigger scandals in recent american history i mean think about the context here january 6th the lie surrounding january 6th has served as the major pretext for the weaponization of the national security state against the american people in particular trump supporters It is, in fact, one of the dominant sham legal theory that they're now using to remove Trump from ballots, the sham insurrection theory. And and okay, so I forgot to mention this part. This is really a beauty here. Kamala Harris, she was at the building. That's why the Secret Service was there. Now, think about this. Kamala Harris is probably one of the most politically opportunistic creatures on this planet. Why would she forego the opportunity to politically milk the fact that she was present in the DNC when the bomb was there, that she came within a hair's width of losing her life to the MAGA pipe bomb? Why would she not milk that? Man, that's a beautiful point. The whole regime, the the whole media, the whole Biden regime is done bent over backwards. They, in fact, one of the first things that my news organization, Revolver.News, broke on January 6th is, I don't know if you remember this or some of your audience remember this. Remember there was that Capitol Police officer that they were saying he was bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher? Fire extinguisher, yeah. We proved that to be fake. And the New York Times ultimately caught up to us and, you know, begrudgingly acknowledged this. But they were so desperate for terrorist narratives that they basically invented this thing out of whole cloth about a guy game bludgeons. But here you have an actual real example of the vice president within feet of a bomb on January 6th. And and she's covered it up. She managed to cover up, up for over uh, for almost a year. It was leaked, but she still hasn't even acknowledged it. Joe Biden took the occasion. Look, this guy, it's hard for him to stand up. 
for five minutes. When he gives an hour-long speech, it means it's important to what he's trying to do. He gave an hour-long speech on the third anniversary of January 6th. He couldn't take a minute within that hour to say, oh, by the way, this thing that I'm trying to hype up as the biggest domestic terrorist event, you know, since Civil War, my own vice president almost lost her life to the MAGA bombs. Didn't mention it once. So you got to think like how dark and dirty and embarrassing does this have to be for them to be covering it up against all semblance of political interest here? And the other thing is it's not just that the pipe bombs were clearly an op. It's not just that they're clearly covering up that op. They cannot prevent this from metastasizing into other areas of January 6th because I said the timing and the synchronicity is the smoking gun. The fact that these two bombs were magically just sitting out there 16, 17 hours undiscovered, and they were both independently, and we're told just randomly, coincidentally, discovered within a 15-minute time frame of that first attack on the Capitol. And their whole excuse for the success of that attack was that resources were diverted in order to address the bombs. That timing, and you know, for people that don't know, the other January 6th dimension that we're famous for reporting on, we really did. If you've heard of Ray Epps, that's because of us. We did the definitive reporting on Epps from the beginning in a series called Meet Ray Epps, part one and part two. Part two is not just about Epps. It is about all of the deeply suspicious characters associated with that peace monument breach in the West Perimeter of the Capitol. That was the first and decisive breach that kicked everything off. That is what was perfectly synchronized with the discovery of these bombs. So if the pipe bombs are a hoax and an op, and the peace monument breach within the, with, with which the discovery of these bombs are perfectly synchronized, if that too is an op, then January 6th was an op and fake. And indeed, as we've been calling it for some time now, a Fedsurrection. Wow. And this is exactly why, like so many people was during that January 6th debate would say, let Darren talk, let him talk, you know, and this is why, because you put it in such a great, you know, capsule form here, man. And the fact that the point that Camilla Harris was with there could have been killed and they, she never mentions it. We see AOC who talks up uh, January 6th and she was a $6 cab right away from where the action was, but she makes it sound as if she was right in the hunt. And so here's Camilla mm -hmm. Harris who's right there. Bomb could have killed her and she don't even mention it. And I think that's a brilliant point. And it's, and also too, we never hear it like the January 6th committee. We don't hear the media talking about it. So there's obviously the word is out. Mum's the word on this pipe bomb because obviously insiders, they know maybe there's something else that would just reveal this and they're trying to push everybody away from it. And I think you've uncovered it all. Absolutely. I mean, they didn't want to draw attention to it because as we just saw from that seven minute video, there's no, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense that the secret service would know that it's fake in advance. And which is clear from the way that they behave. I mean, you could either say that they're like the most negligent people in the world. I guess that's like a slim possibility. But it, I mean, it's clear they're not even worried for their own safety. You'd think even if they're the, the, the worst like professionals in the world and they don't care if these kids get killed and if Kamala Harris get killed, they'd at least be concerned for themselves getting blown up. But they're clearly not. In fact, the thing is, the funny thing is, toward the end of this seven minute video, there's a Capitol police officer who walks right up to the bomb and snaps a photo. Then he gives a thumbs up sign to his colleagues 
At which point, the first time in the whole video that they actually hustle <laughs> to get the heck out of there. It's the first time in the whole video they hustle. And another like really delicious data point that uh, comes from when the video expires, because this is only seven minutes. There's a longer video that's not public, but I've talked to a number of people who've seen it. And you know I know what, what happens later. And that is that they actually go through the spectacle of getting a bomb safe robot to defuse this bomb, the very bomb that they were just casually standing around, that they let kids walk right by like it's no big deal, all of a sudden becomes so dangerous that they need a bomb safe robot to deal with. Give me a break, guys. Well, I will say, if you, if you've seen, uh, James O'Keefe broke this story yesterday with this White House um, official saying that they they can't stand Kamala Harris and they want to remove her, but they're afraid to do it. Maybe they were trying to get rid of her. Maybe that's why they didn't go over there. Right? <laughs> Maybe that's how they were trying to get rid of her. Uh, but it does. It, listen, I, I think Darren, the more we see about January sixth, the more people actually look. And I wish we would get all these tapes that they've been promising us that we didn't get. But the more we look at it, the more you smell a rat. It just seems like this entire thing uh, wasn't yeah. what was a setup, and the Trump supporters. This got seven paid. minute video that we're discussing that was released as a result of Congressman Massey's persistence and vision on this, because he's really taken up our reporting and pushed it to the next level using his powers as a congressman. He used a lot of pressure. He got this out through Kevin McCarthy. This wasn't through the normal channels. This seven-minute video is worth more than all the rest of the January 6th video released combined. Right. I mean, this this blows it all up. This is, this is why we're at escape velocity right now. And I guarantee you they're in damage control mode. They used to be in suppression mode. Now they're in damage control mode. They're going to do everything they can. They say, okay, we're going to have to cover this. It's going to get to the point where the mainstream is going to have to cover it. So... They're probably going to try to find some more domesticated media outlet to give this story like the final push. So that's going to be the one they cite because they definitely don't want to give revolver.news spillover legitimacy for such a huge story because that means the next scandal we report on, they can't dismiss so cavalierly. So they're going to try to give it to a more housebroken journalist or news organization. That probably won't work. Again, we're at escape velocity. Everyone knows it's, it's our story. And secondly, they're probably going to try to contain this just to the pipe bomb and not have it metastasized to other areas of January 6th. That, unfortunately, is going to be impossible because, as I said, the timing and the synchronicity. So let's see. They're definitely brainstorming in newsrooms and within various government agencies right now. So let's see what the next move is. And what is your next move? What's the next play for you here? Where do you go from here at this point? Well, we're going to push this to its conclusion. We're very close and the momentum's on our side now. So I suspect that the next couple weeks and couple months are going to be um, are quite interesting, uh, in particular in relation to this story. So stay tuned. Yeah, well, listen, I, I love what you do. I'm a big fan of you, and I know that you've been on top of this right from the beginning. So God bless you for what you're doing, and I'd love to have you back on down the line. I know we're running up against it here. Darren Beatty, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time today on the Outway Show. Thank you, and I encourage everyone to go to revolver.news, support our investigative work. Pound for pound, we're the most effective media organization in existence. You know, I, I, I hate to say it like that because it sounds so bad, but it's actually true. Pound for pound, we've shaped the national conversation on truly important issues. So if you like that, if you're interested, go 
read our stuff, share our stuff. And if you have a little bit left over, support our work so we can keep giving these scumbags in the regime the headaches they deserve. Yeah, keep giving them hell. I'll put the link down below so the listeners can click it and check it out. Darren, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Wow, so awesome to have Darren Beatty on the podcast. Love to get him back on the show. All these guests back on the show down the line here. But Darren Beatty, man, he really... He really has a way of breaking down these complex issues into a simple capsule form like, like only he does. And so it, it's just how much of the January 6th stuff have they sh- jammed down your throat? They put together documentary. Uh, they put together all this stuff to convince the American people that there was a group of people trying to overthrow the American government on January 6th. And the whole thing is nonsense. The whole January 6th committee. All and Now, again, you know, with, with the videotapes that we're supposed to get, the 90,000 hours, whatever it is they're supposed to have, they haven't released them. We know there's FBI agents that were working inside January 6th. This whole thing, the pipe bombs was a setup. All of January 6th was a setup. And listen, it's not the last time they're going to set one of these deals up because Trump is crushing the polls in every swing state. He's looking like he's going to, just like he did in 2020, he looks like he'll sail right into another another term in the White House. But what happened? All of a sudden, COVID popped up. Worldwide pandemic. They shut down the economy and you know the rest, right? Mail-in ballots, middle of the night, Trump loses the thing. So be prepared because they're going to be coming hard at Trump because they're not going to beat him at the ballot box. There's no way in the world with the way that the country is right now and the the amount of support behind Donald Trump that he could blow this election. There's no way possible unless they have something else, which they will, an October surprise or whatever they've got coming. Better believe there's a lot more to this story before it rolls out in November. All right, so that was awesome, man. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. A special thank you to Professor Bruce Fleming, uh, Jason Whitlock, and Darren Beatty. If you missed out on the interviews, roll them back. Take a listen. Let me know what you thought about it down there in the chat. Leave a comment. Don't forget, please, please, follow this channel here on Rumble. Hit me with a like. Share the uh, the broadcast with as many people in your contact or in your network. Let's try to grow it together. If you have any guest suggestions, please drop them down below. Again, if you're new to this channel here and you're not familiar with the Alec Lay Show, you can see on the wall behind me so many of the guests that have joined me. uh, uh, Ted Cruz, Anna Paulina Luna, Roger Stone. Also recently had Eric Trump here on the podcast. Navy SEAL Team 6 operator Rob O'Neill. Cash Patel a few times. So I'm doing my best to get as many guests as I can for you guys. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support. I could not do it without you. And the best is yet to come here. Again, if you want to follow First Class Fatherhood, I just started that up here on Rumble. I'm going to start importing some of the episodes. I'm not sure exactly how next week is going to work uh, because I will be out in Las Vegas covering the Super Bowl event. So I don't know if I'm going to hit you with a live show on Tuesday. I should be back here on Thursday, a week from today, uh, with a new Alec Lace show. But follow me on X, at Alec Lace for all the upcoming information. All right, so that's all I got for you guys here today. Again, I'm grateful to the three guests that that stopped by. Grateful for you, the listener. God bless all you parents out there, all you patriots. God bless our military veterans, our first responders. God bless America, and I will catch you guys next week. You're listening to The Alec Lee Show. Alec Lace has interviewed more than 700 dads on his award-winning podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Dads from all walks of life, including Tom Brady, Deion Sanders, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tony Hawk, Eric Trump, and so many more. Find out why First Class Fatherhood has been number one on the iTunes charts. Who these men are as fathers and how they raise their children is far more important than anything they accomplish in their careers. 
Alec Lace encourages his high-profile guests to share their fatherhood journeys and offer advice to new and soon-to-be dads. Let every father in your contact list know about First Class Fatherhood. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Every day is Father's Day on First Class Fatherhood. You're listening to The Alec Lace Show. The future is family. 